This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Carl Ulrich. Welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I co-host Launchpad with Rob Connybeer, and Rob is Managing Director of Shasta Ventures, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm. Rob and I switch off hosting duties, usually broadcasting from the Wharton School campus in San Francisco, and that's in fact where I am today. The idea behind Launchpad is that while Rob and I both believe that entrepreneurship is intrinsically risky, after all, you're doing something that hasn't been done before, we do think that there's some things we you can do to increase your chances of success. So the basic idea behind the show is that we introduce you to entrepreneurs who are themselves facing the challenges of launching and growing a business, and we look for opportunities to underscore tools, concept, concepts, principles, and methods that can help new ventures succeed. We typically engage four entrepreneurs on the show, and we try to give you a clear window into the world of entrepreneurship. Some of you are yourselves entrepreneurs, and we really hope to speak directly to you. Some of you are thinking about making the plunge, and we hope to give you a realistic perspective on what entrepreneurship is all about. And probably most of you are just interested in what's new out there in the world of business, and that's certainly also something we hope hope to do. Okay, so let's get it start started with uh, Kiana. Uh, Carla and Shilpa, welcome to Launchpad. Thank you. We're excited to chat. <laughs> Great. Thank you for having us. Great. Um, so I'm going to do my best to direct my questions to one or the other of you. But if, if one of you feels more suited to the question, just definitely chime in. We're real informal here. So first things first, um, Quiana is, uh, is, a, is a name that isn't immediately obvious how we spell. So I just want to spell for our listeners what your domain is. So it's C-U-Y-A-N-A. C-U-Y-A-N-A, Quiana.com. So if you're someplace safe and at a web browser, you can check out Quiana.com, C-U-Y-A-N-A.com. All right, Carla, let's kick it off with you. Give us the elevator pitch for Quiana. Definitely. So um, Quiana is the destination for today's modern, modern woman, sorry, um, to buy her day-to-day essentials. So when you think of a woman's day-to-day essentials, we're talking about um, the leather tote that we wear, wear to work, our travel case set that we take in our travels with our makeup on and our toiletries, um, our cashmere scarf that we wear during the winter, those key pieces that we wear over and over again during the day and that transition us from day to night, from week to weekend as we are busy carrying on with our lives um, from home to work and and. and 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 so forth. All right. Well, Shilpa, let me turn it to you and ask why why do we need another company providing day to day essentials? I mean, by definition, these are essentials. So presumably, there are a lot of companies providing these goods. 
That's what you would um, that's what you would think. But when Carla and I started the company in 2011, that actually was not the case. You have this age old problem for women, actually, that, um, you know, you often hear a woman say, I wish I bought two of something because the way that the retail supply chain is set up, that oftentimes the pieces that you really love um, are no longer in existence. The quality has gotten very poor over time if they've done re- issues and the focus really hasn't been on the pieces that a woman wants to wear every day. Um, this is definitely a different problem, I think, for women than for men, um, but something that I think women um, over time have really uh, struggled to find. And um, we've had so many women just express their gratefulness for us to fill this gap for them. All right. Um, back to you, Carla. What did you give us? A, a little clearer perspective on exactly what these products are. So maybe pick a handful of the of the best-selling items that Kiana sells. What would they be? Yeah, I mean we can start with our um, with our leather tote, and um, we've grown that uh, from one style into an actual category, the tote category. Um, so the 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 key wide gap that Kiana fulfills here, and how we make our product is that we are able to bring to market premium quality um, um, essentials, and we are able to price them and sell them to the consumer at a very affordable price point. And so our leather totes are made with um, luxury level leather. They're made at factories around the world um, that make products for luxury um, companies, and we're able to sell that, those totes at um, hundred at around anywhere between 150 to 215 dollars depending on the style mm-hmm. um, which is a price point that's incredibly affordable for that level of 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 uh, quality um, if those notes were going to be priced uh, uh, um, at, uh, um, in the, in the uh, at the level of quality that they're sold by other brands um, it would probably be priced at about 500 dollars mm-hmm so, uh, Shilpa, so I, I'm envisioning, so a tote, just for, uh, just so you know, our, 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 our listeners definitely skew male, but uh, we're hoping they're going to buy some of these for, <laughs> for women in their lives. But uh, explain to us, a tote is defined how? It's, a, it's essentially an open top bag. Is that how, it, how you think about what a tote is? Yes, it's a it's a bag that really allows a woman to carry um, just a diversity of range of products. So it's yep. it's a it's usually um, rectangular in um, either north, south, or east, west, depending mm-hmm. on the orientation that you prefer. And it is a big open space that allows a woman to store everything from. Um, her laptop to a makeup bag or, you know, maybe baby supplies, kids' clothes, kids' snacks, um, just like a very uh, malleable bag. So like really just like go-to carry-all that has, um, it is light um, in weight and allows like kind of it forms to the, the shape that's in the products that are in it. All right. And so if I were to buy a, a leather tote from a premium bat from a premium brand, say LV or something, which I know is one of the category leaders, um, Shilpa, what would I what would I pay for that for the equivalent? Um, you would pay um, probably 10x in price to get the quality um, that we are offering. Um, so just traditional retail markups, like even if we were not a direct to consumer um brand we would you could easily multiply everything by three but then the luxury players also add a premium um, margin on top of that so um, 
it is actually quite pricey to find quality, beauty, um, you know, just products made with integrity. And that, again, kind of going to your earlier question is really the gap that we're filling. Yeah. All right. Well, well, Carla, uh, what what's the trick? I mean, and you can't really get something for nothing. So how can you sell for one tenth the price of the luxury brands? Yeah. So a couple of things. The number one uh, part one is that we sell direct to consumer. And so we don't have to embed the wholesale markup in our pricing. So we are basically we're effectively selling our products to the consumer at the wholesale price. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part one. Part two is that actually let me let me just interrupt you for a second and let me make some guesses and just help our listeners with the math there, which is my guess is in this category, if there's an intermediary, if there if you're selling through a retailer, that if you sell it if you sell it to the retailer for uh uh two hundred dollars, they will sell it to the consumer for four hundred dollars. And so there's at least a four X uh, difference between what what it costs you for the product and what it sells to the consumer. And by eliminating one step in there, you could, in theory, do it for half that amount. Am I getting that math roughly right? Roughly right, yeah. It's, um, usually it's, it's the, 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 the difference is more than, than – than, 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 so, so the savings are more to the customer, but, but yeah, yeah you're, you're pretty much it's, it's a – you're getting it quite right. <laughs> okay, so that was the that was point one before I interrupted you. Yeah, and then you had a second point. Yeah. Yes, and the second point is, as a company and as a brand, we've made the decision to not charge a uh, a premium of of uh, the luxury premium um, uh, uh, to the customer. And, and what mm-hmm. does that mean? It means that we um, we are we're passing on as much of the savings as possible to the consumer so that we can make this product as affordable as possible. Um, and so that so that is a, is a brand decision with the goal that we um, we we eventually actually um, create a, a, a profitable business because we don't have to um, um, uh, conduct sales or discounts. To, um, to sell through our merchandise. Um, we acquire customers in a very organic way uh, because our, the, 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 the purchases that they're making are incredibly thoughtful. We, we help them through the process. We don't push products so that their, their purchases are made in a way that's, um, that, that's not thought through and, 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 and in a way that, um, that the, then they end up returning those products or feeling unsatisfied. And so we've, we've crafted a brand and an experience in which um, we decide to not charge huge premiums for our brands and we help the, 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 the customer through the way such that uh, at the end, the customer ends up being incredibly satisfied with the product that they're purchasing and, and at that price point. And, and we end up engaging with them in such a way that loyalty uh, increases uh, 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 to, a, to a real unforeseen level uh, it, it, when we compare ourselves to the traditional retail brand. All right. So I, I certainly get the first part of that. That is direct-to-consumer certainly makes makes sense. You cut out a middleman that's easy to imagine how you can cut out, you know, a fa- at least a factor of two in, in the process. But the second part, I think, is a little more subtle. So what you're suggesting is that there must be some inefficiencies in the way that that established luxury brands sell to consumers. 
because after all, you do hope that at the end of the day, you will, will you will be as profitable as those as those brands. So maybe I'll turn to you, Shilpa. How what are those inefficiencies in the way luxury brands get their products to the consumer? Or uh, either one of you. I know that that question sort of came out of out of nowhere. I didn't mean to 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 surprise um, you. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Um. I'm I'm happy to answer, and then Carla can definitely um. Uh, augment my my response because she started um, speaking to this already. But um, you know, building off of what Carla said, um, definitely um, there is a um, there is a propensity for luxury brands and for for contemporary brands to um, produce a lot of newness. So they're developing a lot of new styles, and they're um, you know in in order to to service a lot of the wholesale clients that they have, so that there is um, you know. Uh, differentiation in the collections that you will see from a brand at one retailer versus the other retailer. And, and what happens when you develop a lot of styles, that doesn't mean that all the styles are winners and that all styles are going to sell through. So a lot of times those styles are, um, A, expensive to develop. So you're spending a lot of money up front um, to, to develop more styles than you actually believe in at times. Um, and then B, you know, since they're not going to all sell through, you end up putting a lot of things on discount. And so, um, therefore, the consumer is actually paying um, less also, and you're training that consumer to wait for things to go on sale. So you're, you're basically revealing to them that um, the actual price of this garment, we can still afford to put it on sale and make money, um, so maybe you should just wait because at some point, um, we're going to put these products on sale. And so um, that's that's one of the areas. And a lot of times um, there's a markup for that extra development time, that extra development cost, the inventory um, that they're managing, the newness that they're, they're, um, they're building and um, really not getting the, the margin all the way through in the same way. Yeah. Carla, what would you add? Um, what I wanted to, to, to add is that there's a, there's a level of exclusivity that comes along with uh, with 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 being a customer of a luxury brand, and so this luxury premium that we're talking about is is a premium to you know um, uh, position those products at a at an unreachable unreachable uh, level to to most consumers. Mm-hmm. And what is what a speci- that's what um, what a specific segment of the consumers pay up for to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be the very few that can purchase those products, um, and so, so 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 that that type of premium, that brand premium that makes uh, products unreachable to most, is is the the premium that we as a brand decided not to uh, to to include as part of our offering, even though the quality of our products and the manufacturing of our products uh, uh, was going to be um, at, at around similar levels to some of those luxury brands. Yeah. All right. So this this is super interesting. And I want to just take a moment to underscore these four points, because I think they really are quite general and they explain how these kinds of businesses can work. So the first thing is you get rid of the middleman. So that's sort of obvious. But these other points, I think, are these other three points are more subtle. One is that there is some effectively planned obsolescence, some high variety, some very uh, more stylish, um, uh, risky products that are put in the market by the luxury brands that gives rise to some inventory mismatch some some inefficiencies in the supply chain because they're it's hard to predict the demand 
The second piece is that they often end up in these boom and bust uh, sales cycles uh, with with high list prices and then markdowns and discounts at later in the cycle. And that introduces some confusion and uh, higher average prices or list prices for the goods. And then the third point is this is effectively this idea that in order to preserve, preserve the exclusivity, they're priced very high, so they're accessible to only relatively few consumers. That, of course, reduced, results in much lower volumes. And so if you could bring the prices down, the volumes could be higher, and that would allow, while it would give up on the exclusivity, it would allow greater efficiencies. So that all makes sense, and I just wanted to make sure our listeners got why this can work. It's not just that you're you're kind of not the middleman. There's some other things that are part of this mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So let let's turn. Let's let's go back to the beginning, Carla. Uh, where where did where did uh, Quiana come from? Where was the, What's the origin story? Yeah. Um, it's a it's an origin story that took quite a few years uh, before it became an an, an actual. Uh, uh, reality. Um, I, I am Ecuadorian, grew up in Ecuador, and um, I always like to say that my home was a home of few, fewer, better things. And, um, I was brought up in an environment where uh, we had to really think before we purchased anything, really. And um, and and um, secondly, I, I also grew up with a very strong interest in, in fashion, even though um, I, I pursued very traditional um, edu- a very traditional education path uh, in mathematics and later ended up working in investment banking. And so um, fast forward to when I graduated from high school in Ecuador, I moved to the U.S. and um, and uh, to pursue my, my college education. And um, in those first few years, I, I was introduced to the um, to the American consumer market and um, to uh, to um, be, and became one. And what I mean by that is, you know, the amount of options that are, that were available to me for the first time were were were, were um, incredibly uh, larger in, in volume. And um, secondly, um, you know, the the consumer here beha- behaved very differently than than the consumer I was used to at home. And um, and, and 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 what I realized was that the consumer uh, was being triggered by um, by this those sales and discounts and just the large amounts of volume in terms of options uh, to make purchases that ne- weren't necessarily needs, but more than anything, sometimes they were impulsive. Um, and so I, as part of my, as I was settling in <laughs> to, to this new world, I I, um, I realized that even though there were so many more options and even I was becoming a, a different type of consumer, um, most of most of my friends' closets weren't uh, truly something that uh, my friends were proud of. And um, the quality of the products for the price points that were, they were getting sold at, you know, sometimes they were cheap uh, purchases, but really the quality would fall apart or um, or sometimes, you know, the fit wasn't right. And, 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 and people had a lot, but in reality, they didn't, they didn't have um, enough of, or they didn't have a lot to show for. And so through time, I, I, I realized, even as a consumer here with men, plenty more options, um, I was unsatisfied. And um, I, I, I grew up surrounded by um, many industries that are the men, that um, 
um, create that are the the industries of, of a lot of these products. So the leather industry in Argentina, paca industry in Peru, the straw industry in Ecuador, which is where the Panama hats are created. And I realized that um, there was something missing in the way that these products were getting introduced in the in the American market. And um, and 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 it was it was really back to the fact that these products were incredibly valuable, and that um, the consumer could do a little more work in terms of understanding quality before they purchase, so that they could eventually treasure those 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 products in a stronger way. Also, understanding where these products come from and and having a stronger bond to those products before purchasing them. Um, and so that was just an idea and a seat that that I had during college, but. Through time, it was it was an idea that grew to becoming more and more uh, something that I wanted that that sorry became more and more um, a, a larger business idea, and um, and what I eventually wanted to, to to do was create a brand that would connect consumers back to their products, and um, I didn't necessarily have a, I wasn't in the retail path. I, I had just graduated from a math major uh, at Brown. I ended up working in Goldman Sachs at, in New York, and I was doing banking. I was doing really well, but something was missing, and um, I wanted to have a stronger impact in the world. And so I decided to 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 finish my analyst year at, at Goldman and uh, pursue an MBA so that I could learn what were the kind of like what was the toolkit to to, to start a business and, and and build a network that would allow me to get there and. Um, and Kuyana really back then was a raw idea, and it was all about connecting consumers to high-quality uh, products. But um, through business school and, and, and as I put together this business plan in a stronger way, um, there were a couple of trends that had came into the, the that came into place that made this a real business opportunity. The first one was that the supply chain became wide open, um, and as big brands and, 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 and premium brands had moved to Asia to produce at lower prices, um, they had left behind um, incredible factories around the world that really needed work and that were urgent for work, and that in many cases, um, these micro-industries around the world were shutting down. So the leather industry in Italy was suffering, leather industry in Argentina was suffering, the cashmere industry in and um, in Scotland was 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 decaying as well, and so there was an open uh, door to talking to these suppliers for the first time and potentially uh, uh, establishing a relationship through which um, through which uh, a new brand could make product in these incredible facilities. Um, so that was number one. Supply chain was wide open, and then the second thing that happened um, during that time is that fast fashion flooded the market with terrible like with quality that had ter- uh, sorry with products that had terrible quality and the consumer was just incredibly unsatisfied so yes uh, products were cheap however products were falling apart and and the, the customer was was in a very disappointed state um, and you know pre- uh, and brands that have offered better somewhat better quality were also starting to um, to 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 disappoint customers with with uh, with with um, product that wasn't as as high quality as the original intent that these brands had. And, and this is primarily in the contemporary market. And so from a consumer standpoint, the consumer was ready for something new and for something better. Um, I think that, you know, the, our, our value proposition and our point of view of fewer better was very new and very different to what all the consumers had been seeing back then. And in a way, uh, it, was, it was confusing to some people when we came out with our concept However, 
uh, our idea was to actually pr- uh, push customers to think really well before they purchase, but to also give them a product that was worth its va- its, its value. That had sorry that had uh, that was worth its money, and, and the, its value was, was really really um, strong. Um, and so that's kind of how it all came together from you know an idea as more as a customer as a, and as somebody that had seen quality outside of the U.S. all the way to business school where um, the market opened itself up from a supply chain standpoint, but also from a consumer standpoint. Let me um, uh, in, in, interject or interrupt and ask a question. I'll ask it of Shilpa. This you you make this sound like it was sort of an overnight thing, but you guys have been at this for a while. So it's you you launched if I if I remember correctly, two thousand eleven. And uh, Shilpa, give us a sense of of where you are today, how it's going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're um, yeah we did we did launch in two thousand eleven. We started. Um, really actively marketing in 2013. So the supply chain that Carla described took, um, you know, some some love and attention in those first two years, and we really um, knew that it would take. Um, we had one chance to get the quality exactly right. That there wasn't really an MVP um, for a brand like ours. Like we we had to do it all um, correctly and, and deliver this amazing, incredible experience to the woman. Um, to our customer right away. And so the first two years, we really were dedicating ourselves to setting up with the best luxury manufacturers across the world. Um, and then in 2013, we um, came out to market with a very strong um, point of view with fewer, better things, um, you know, really uh, setting um, in motion what, beca- what became like a very powerful trend. Um, also, as Carla had described, and since then, for the last five years, we've um, really proven um, in multiple categories. So now we sell apparel, accessories, and bags. Um, we started mostly as an accessories and bag company, and so we've um, added apparel. We launched our first pant. Um, we've also successfully proven retail. So um, we've had a store in San Francisco since 2013, um, and we're amongst the first to do pop-ups all over the country to show mm-hmm. that retail indeed was not dead. It just needed new imagination and new innovation in its, in its thinking. Um, so we've always big, been big believers that um, people should shop in person and see things and judge the quality for themselves and shop with intention. And so we've had pop-ups since 2014. Um, we just opened our um, two permanent stores this year. So now the permanent store count is up to four. So we have Venice Beach, um, New York, uh, Pacific Palisades in San Francisco, and we just launched another pop-up in in Stanford Shopping Center. So um, we're growing really well um, and, you know, um, brought on um, a very powerful team and um, things are going really great. Great. Well, Carla, we have time for just one more question. I'm going to direct it to you. Uh, this is the holiday season. There are a lot of us guys out there who are looking for a great gift for someone. And let's imagine that you are trying to buy something for a woman in your life. What would be your recommendation from of the Quiana products? Oh, great question. So I always recommend this is a, this is a no-brainer gift at Quiana, our travel case set. Uh, and it's a set of two cases uh, made in leather, handmade in Argentina, really beautiful product. And this fits 
any type of woman. The traveler who needs to take her toiletries around, the woman who's on the go who needs to put makeup in her bag. Um, you can also use those to organize your toiletries and makeup at home and in your own bathroom. And this is really a top, top, top seller. You can monogram um, her initials uh, on the cases to make it more personalized and and um, and overall, it's just it's just a beautiful gift. It's made in Argentina, handmade, and 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 it really fits every every lifestyle and, and every type of of, of uh, woman. All right, beautiful. And I'm just going to point our listeners one more time to the website so they can make sure to find that product. It's Quiana, but it's spelled C U Y A N A C U Y A N A dot com. I'm Carl Ulrich. Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.